Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for June 9th, 2018. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message titled, Doctrine of Salvation, Justification. Now, Brother Omar reminds us that being justified by grace gives us amazing privileges and promises, but also responsibilities. Now, find out who you are in Christ as we turn to the Word here on Followers of the Way. We are still in our Doctrine of Salvation uh, part of our larger series of our statement of faith. We're talking about justification. Uh, last time we spoke a little bit about it, and this is going to be sort of like a transitional sermon onto the next uh, part, which would be sanctification. But I want to talk about a little bit about, you know, typically when you talk about justification, you get into issues that are more like systematic theology, doctrines, and things like that, which is all good and we've covered here. But I'm going to talk about it a little bit from a different perspective. The doctrine of justification is, in the New Testament, a very, very central doctrine. Okay? The apostles, and you will see, drew a line at a proper understanding of justification. And even historically, the church, for example, one of the reasons why we call ourselves Protestants is because about 500 years ago, a group of Christians protested against certain teachings of the Catholic Church. And if you know, or if you've had any interaction with Roman Catholicism, the Roman Catholic Church, in essence, understands justification differently from the way that we understand it and the way that we believe the Bible teaches it. For example, we understand, as we have said, justification to be a declaration that God made over you Right, so when you're justified is when God declares you to be righteous, and He does this by faith. Meaning, when you exercise faith in Christ, then you're declared righteous by God. Now, in the Roman Church, they view this differently. They understand justification to be a process that you partake in through the sacraments that are given to the Church. Okay, so. The Bible gives us two sacraments, which is baptism and communion. We practice those, well, we practice baptism not so long ago, and we also practice communion once a month. The way that the Catholic Church understands, they have seven sacraments. They have baptism, they have confirmation, they have the anointing of the sick, they have matrimony. All these things are sacraments that they have, and as you partake in those, you engage in a process of justification, whereas as you take the sacraments, as you're baptized, as you're, uh, you know, confess your sins, etc., then God gives you grace, the grace of justification, whereby you are justified, and you have to maintain yourself justified by the keeping of these sacraments. Though the reformers thought that that was not the way that the Bible speaks of justification, and we believe that they were right. In the Bible, justification is, I have said, a declaration made from God. When the believer exercises faith or the sinner exercises faith, God declares him to be righteous on the basis of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Christ died, paid for our sins, opens up the way for God's forgiveness, and by faith, the sinner is declared righteous and enters into a relationship with God, which he could not have before. All right? And so, the Bible is essentially the story or the narrative of our beginnings, how things went wrong, and what God did to fix it. 
And what God did to fix it was he sent his son to die for our sins, and therefore we are redeemed by grace through faith. Okay? And so, in summary, last time we talked about being justified by grace through faith alone. Works has nothing to do with our justification. Efforts have nothing to do with our justification. We're going to see that the Bible is clear on those issues. Okay? But it's solely on the basis of our faith in Christ Jesus. And so strongly the Apostle Paul feels about this, uh, that any deviation from this teaching, Paul is adamant that you're deviating from salvation. You're deviating from the true gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but that there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let that one be accursed. So the Apostle Paul draws the line on the sand, okay? There is a true gospel, and it doesn't matter who teaches you something differently. It could be one of us, he says, one of the apostles. It could be an angel coming down from heaven. If they teach you something that deviates from what we've proclaimed to you, the gospel that we proclaim to you, let, them, let him be accursed. Okay? So what is the gospel that Paul and the apostles were proclaiming? So you find this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is justified not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law, because no one will be justified by the works of the law. So the Gospels that the apostles preached, okay, was a gospel of salvation by grace through faith apart from works. They drew the line in the sand and said, any deviation from this and you have another gospel, okay? And if you do have another gospel, then let you be accursed. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying, okay? Now, interestingly, he says, if one of us preaches to you anything different, or if any preacher preaches to you any different, or an angel from heaven tells you any different, it doesn't matter who it is, there's only one gospel, we've proclaimed it to you, Anything other than that is a false gospel, and whoever preaches it, let him be accursed. So the Bible, I think we've been through enough verses so far to show that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. The sinner has nothing to offer to God. You have nothing to offer to God. When you got saved, you didn't give God anything in exchange of nothing. God sought you. The Holy Spirit brought you conviction of sin, and you were brought to a state that by exercising faith in Christ, Christ declares you righteous. That's how Adam was justified. I mean, that's how Abraham was justified, and that's how anybody who has ever been saved in the history of mankind has been saved. God has to declare us righteous, and he does this. He has chosen to do this by faith. 
So your faith is not the grounds of your salvation. That's not the reason why you get saved. Okay? God chooses to save you. You can have all the faith in the world, and God has no obligation to save you. God has chosen, out of his own mercy, to save you by faith. Simple as that. It has been God's prerogative and his mercy to bring people back into relationship by him who accept that they cannot save themselves. So your faith doesn't even bring anything into salvation. Save is not something that is added, like a work. It's something that faith is what receives the gift. And that's how God has chosen in his mercy to bring people back to him by faith. Okay, so that is the gospel. That's pretty clear from the scriptures. That's pretty clear from the New Testament, uh, the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, okay, teaches pretty clearly that we're saved by grace through faith, okay? No, having been saved, the good thing is that God doesn't just save you to save you, right? I just save these people here. We're good to go. God saves you for different reasons. He has things that he wants to do with his people, okay? So, first of all, let's talk about some of the blessings that we have in Christ. Now that you're saved, all right? You were lost, now you're saved. You know, now that you're saved, what did you get? Well, number one, Romans 5, you have peace with God. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we're justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Why do we have peace? Because the Bible says pretty, pretty clearly that we were at enmity with God. God's justice and our sinfulness was going against each other. A good judge is going to judge crimes, right? So we were at enmity with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 10 says, For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by His life. Okay? So we were enemies of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says this, And you, who were once estranged and hostiles in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. So it says here pretty clearly that we were hostile, estranged and hostiles, or some translation says enemies in our minds, through evil deeds, through wicked works. And he, in his body of flesh and through his dead, reconciles them to himself, so as to present you holy and blameless, irreproachable before him. Okay? And so we have peace with God. That's the number one blessing you have. God's wrath, God's holy justice is no longer after you. If you're saved, you have peace with God. He's your friend. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. But He's your friend. He's no longer your enemy. Or you're not enemy of Him anymore. There's a reconciliation that has happened. Furthermore, in Ephesians... Chapter 1, we should preach through 
Should we preach through Ephesians? It's a good, good. Okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we started this church preaching through Ephesians. It took four years. Um, but, anyways. You should know this by memory. I shouldn't even be giving you this. All right. Ephesians 1, 5. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. In him, those who are saved, in him, what do you get? You get redemption through his blood. What else do you get? Forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure that He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of times. This has been planned for a long time. Okay, To gather up all things in Him, things in heaven, things on earth, in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel to his counsel and will so that we who were first to set our hope in Christ might live for the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation have believed in him were marked with the seal of the promised holy spirit this is the pledge of your inheritance toward redemption as god's own people to the praise of his glory so you have Forgiveness of sin, you have redemption, you have an inheritance, you have the Holy Spirit as a seal. What does he say here? The seal of the promised Holy Spirit. So you have all these things in Christ, redemption, forgiveness, and inheritance. In other words, what the apostle is saying, all the things that Christ has, if you're in him, you have them. Okay, so if you, if you are... Uh, if you're a condemned uh, murderer or some sort of criminal and you're in prison and you're in death row, right? That person is condemned to death. He's going to die. He's going to be put to death. And let's say you have over here the president of the United States. The president of the United States needs a liver, okay? It so happens that this criminal's liver matches and will be a good transplant for the president, all right? But that liver is condemned as long as it's in that criminal to be put to death and die. But if the criminal says, I'm going to give my liver for whatever reason for the president before I've been put to death, you take the liver out of the criminal and then you put it in the president of the United States, that liver is now going to be the president of the United States. It is going to have all the things that the president has because now that liver is in the president. Okay. And so you were in Adam, and in Adam you're condemned, okay? You're going to get all the things that were in Adam, the condemnation, the sin, and all of that. But you have been transplanted, and now you're put in Christ, and so now being in Christ, you're going to get everything that Christ has, because you're part of his body, all right? And he is the head of his body, which is the church, all right? So you as a Christian has been transplanted, this is what Paul is saying, more or less, from Adam onto Christ. So you're no longer in condemnation because you are in Him. The emphasis of Ephesians, this is a key emphasis when you read Ephesians 1, is in Him, in Christ, you have all these things. This is similar what Paul is doing 
Remember, Paul is a Jew. He's drawn an allusion to the old covenant where all these things are given as a promise to who? To the nation of Israel. They weren't given to Johnny the Jew over there. They were given to the nation of Israel. So if you're in the nation of Israel, you have all these promises. You have all these blessings, right? So now if you're in Christ, you have the promises and the blessings. The difference is that Israel disobeys, Christ obeys. So he actually gets the promises. All right? So that's, that's the blessings that we get, all right, in Christ. Furthermore, Ephesians 1.15. Should I read more promises? Let's read more promises. Let's go to 15. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. For this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with your eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. According to the working of his great power, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and he has made him the head over all things for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what do you get? You get, number one, a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Okay, as you come to know him, you get a hope. He says you, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. You have power. And he says the same power that God put to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seating him in the right hand of heavenly places is the power that is available to you. So you as a believer, you have an inheritance, you have power, you have a spirit of wisdom, you have a hope to which he has called you. And then he goes on to say, in case you are scared of the world, okay, you look at the world, you say, this world is a mess. You know, I know I have all these things, but he then goes on to say, he raised Christ from the dead, he seats him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. So think of power, authority, and rule in a physical realm. Christ is above all those things. Think of power and authority in the spiritual realm. And Christ is above all those things. So that means that the devil is below Christ. See what I'm saying? Satan is not some... We think of Satan like he's like a demigod. You know, the devil did... did if the devil is in China, he can't be here at the same time. He's not omnipresent, okay? And he is subservient to Jesus Christ, the, the Bible says. And he's also, furthermore, um, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, and you as a believer are part of the church and therefore you're part of his body. And you have all these things given to you. Okay? So the Bible is full of blessings and promises for those who are part of the new covenant of God and who are saved 
by grace through faith. This is what salvation is. It's not just forgiveness of sins and then you get a ticket stamp and you go to heaven once you die. You get all these things are available to you in Christ. You have access to the throne of grace, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. You have access to the holy of holies. Remember in the Old Testament, only the priest could go once a year. They had to have a little rope in case he dies and they can, they can just pull him out and all that stuff. Now he says you have access to the throne of grace through Christ. You can just walk right in to the holy of holies as a believer. Okay? So you have access. Ephesians chapter 3, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in Him. Okay? We have fellowship with the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, we declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly your fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's 1 John, by the way. 1 John 1. Um, we have fellowship with the Godhead and with one another in the church. In other words, if you go to Philippians chapter 2, it says that we have fellowship with the Spirit. In fact, let me go there. Let me read that. Philippians 2, 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing or fellowship in the Spirit, any compassion, sympathy, make my joy complete, be the same in mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We have fellowship or sharing in the Holy Spirit. And then in 1 John, verse 1, it says, We declare to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship with the Spirit, with the Son, and with God the Father. We have fellowship and sharing and participation with the Godhead and with one another in the church. We have full access to God Almighty, the Trinity, okay? as believers, right? So this is just like the surface of some of the blessings and promises that the Bible and the New Testament tells us that we have access to in Christ Jesus, okay? So as a believer out in the world, you are favored and blessed by God. Furthermore, anything that may or may not happen to us in our lives, whether it be sickness, whether it be persecution or whatever, you have to remember that God is above all those things right. and you still have access to all these promises. Right. And one of the hardest things is to have faith when bad things are happening because we think that God is only here for the nice, good things. That's not the way that it is in the Bible. And anything that happens to you, God knows is going to happen to you. He's allowing it to happen to you for some reason that's going to glorify Him, and He is the head and above all authority and dominion and power and whatnot in the church. So when a Christian is being persecuted in China, the Christian in China needs to understand that above the government of China, there's another God, there's another authority that is overseeing all authorities. And God knows whether it be in China, whether it be here, wherever we are that we may be oppressed or whatever sickness we may be going to or whatever it is that may happen, which happens in life, bad things happen in life. God is ahead and above all those things and He has given us the fellowship of the Spirit, access to the throne of grace. He's given you an inheritance among the saints. He's given you redemption, forgiveness of sins. Those are all the blessings that you have in Christ. 
Notice that he doesn't say he's giving you cars, <laughs> he's giving you money, he's giving you mansions, right? He doesn't say any of that. He's not saying when you're going back through a hard time, you lay, just go to the dealer. Do people even do that? I've heard people say that. You go to the dealer, lay hands on the car. All right. He doesn't say to do that. He says that you have been given all these things. Now, he's writing people who are being persecuted. You have to understand, the whole New Testament, when you read the whole New Testament, you're reading people who are being persecuted. This letter has been written by people who are being persecuted. And he's telling people who are being persecuting and suffering, you have all these blessings in Christ. This is what you have. And he's above all power and all dominion and all authority. And you have all these blessings. This is who you are in Christ. All right? And so, as a saved person... You have been blessed a lot, okay? Furthermore, so far, all of this is amen. All of this is good, right? All this is good stuff. But also in the New Testament, as Christians, you also have responsibilities. The New Testament is full of commands and responsibilities and duties that you have as a Christian, okay? Now, my wife... I didn't know she was going to read through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Read through some of those responsibilities, okay? Now, we have certain duties that we have as believers. Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus tells his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I tell you, or do not the things that I tell you? Okay? So Christ tells his disciples, If you're going to call me Lord, Lord, you need to follow or obey what I say, okay? John 14, it says, He who loves me, Jesus said, keeps my commandments. So the lover of Christ is a keeper of commandments, all right? So in the book of James, book of James chapter 1, okay? Verse 19 says this, you must understand this, my beloved, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, you Christian, you Christian man, therefore rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has power to save your souls. But, Christian man, be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, but not doers, they're like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed by their doing. So we have... Here in the Bible, commands that are given to Christians. So the Christian, the believer, has many blessings, but the Christian, the believer, also has many responsibilities. Okay, we have a responsibility to obey God and worship Him in obedience. Okay, this is what undercuts the idea that you just simply believe in Jesus and go about your life and come to church every Sunday. Okay, that's not... Whoever tells you that or, or lives like that does not read the New Testament, right? And I'm, I've heard people with this idea that, you know, the Old Testament is all about rules and commandments and stuff. The New Testament is about just grace and faith. Okay, number one, you've never read the Old Testament. 
Number two, you've never read the New Testament because the Old Testament is full of grace and mercy and love and compassion from God. The whole sacrificial system was a work of grace, okay? And number two, the New Testament is full of commandments and rules and responsibilities that we have as a Christian, okay? We have a responsibility to obey God, first and foremost, and to worship Him in obedience. We are saved by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. Okay? That's how we get saved. But we are saved so that we can do works. Okay? We are saved unto good works. God's law requires love to God and love to our fellow man, and so does the New Testament. All of the duties and responsibilities the Paul gives to the church are applications of God's law, which is love God and love your fellow man. Okay? And so, I'll read to you through Titus chapter 2, verse 1. This is from the Apostle Paul. He says this, But as for you, teach what is consistent with sound doctrine. So what is sound doctrine? I hear people talk about we need to preach sound doctrine, sir. In this church, we preach sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Um, Tell the other men to be temperate, serious, prudent, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, tell older women to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanderers or slaves to drink. They are to teach what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, chaste, good managers of the household, kind, being submissive to their husbands, so that they... Word of God may not be discredited. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects a model of good works. In all your teaching, show integrity, gravity, sound speech that cannot be censured. Then any opponent will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Tell slaves to be submissive to their masters, to give satisfaction in every respect. They are not to talk back, not to pilfer, but to show complete and perfect fidelity, so that in everything they may be an ornament to the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, teaching us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age live lives that are self-controlled, upright, godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people who are sellers for good works. That was a lot of instructing. And he's writing to the church. And he's addressing believers who probably were some of the godliest believers that Paul wrote to. In the Philippians, he hardly had anything bad to say about it. Corinthians, forget it. But Philippians, they were pretty good. And what you have here is just a series. um, Actually, he's writing to Titus uh, to preach to the church in Ephesus. So you have here a series of instructions that he's giving to the church. And he's saying this is how you should conduct yourselves, not so that you could be saved, but because you have been saved. So you have to live up to something because God has made a declaration over you. God has said, you have faith in me. I am going to declare you righteous. But then 
you have to live up to what I have declared to you. So in the New Testament, as believers, we, we have responsibilities. Furthermore, and this is going to be, I guess, a little preview for the next sermon. But if you go to Peter, chapter 1, verse 13, this is also written to believers. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Um, I think, gird up the loins of your mind is what the King James says. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when He is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, He who called you is holy. Be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during your time in exile here. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but he was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are set in on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew not of perishable but imperishable seeds to the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fails, but the Word of God endures forever. He goes on to say, chapter 2, Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice, of all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they might line you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when He comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept authority of every human institution, whether emperor as supreme or governors are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as a free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, Fear God, honor the emperor. All of these are commands. Notice what he's constantly saying. So that when people see you, they may see that you're doing good. Or they may see what you're doing right. In the old days, people used to talk about our testimony. You ever heard of that? You know, I have to keep my testimony. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I know I could probably do this, but I got to keep my testimony. In other words, I got to make sure that when people look at me, they understand, oh, you are a particular person. You're, you're different. You do things right. Well, that comes from the Bible. That's being a witness to Jesus in the world. Though I'm afraid, 
that most of us Christians today have lost all of our testimony before the world, unfortunately. And the reason being is because we have not um, understood that in, as Christians we have responsibilities before God and before our fellow Christians and before the world. We have different responsibilities. The Bible is full of these instructions constantly. In all the epistles, you will find the apostles telling us that we should live a certain way, that we should live up to who we are. Now, he's not telling us that the mistake that some people have made is that they have believed that we are saved by faith and also by doing works. That's not what the apostles are saying. What they're saying is you're saved by faith unto good works. Your issue with God was settled in Christ, but now as a believer, God as your Lord is now commanding you to live a certain way. And we are responsible as believers to live the way that the Bible commands us to live. Now, I think I'm out of time. In the scriptures, in the Bible, we're also told that one of the great blessings that we have is that all these commandments that you see that, will, that sound very overwhelming, you have been given the Spirit of God to give you grace to actually do them. So when Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone, he's not leaving you alone. Okay, all of these instructions that we have been given is by the grace of God and the power of his spirit that we have been giving so we can actually do the things that God commands us to do. Left to ourselves, we're not even going to get any of this done. But with the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, and as we partake of fellowship with believers in and the reading of the scriptures, God's grace is made available to us to actually do the things that we should do. So, and in the next summer, I get a little bit into more detail as, as sanctification, uh, what the doctrine of sanctification means. It's not just that you're obeying rules, it's just that you have been empowered by God to obey those rules, to live, to live the life that God wants you to live. He provides for you the means to live it. Okay, but nevertheless, we still have before God, before our fellow man, and before the church responsibilities. We have all these great blessings. The Bible says too much is given, much is expected, right? Well, you have been given a lot <laughs> in Christ. You have been given all things, the Bible says. And so therefore, God expects certain things out of his people and out of his church. Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your salvation. We also thank you we have access to all of these promises and great blessings that you have given us, Lord, in Christ Jesus. We pray that as we study and read your word, Lord, that you may give us the grace, that you may give us the spirit to be able to do the things that you command us to do, and that we may be able to be faithful, obedient children and good witnesses to the world who's out there looking at us constantly, Lord. We thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. 
We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.